God changes your plans. You know, kind of in, in his heart, a man plans his path, but the Lord directs his steps. And I love that. In a lot of ways, that is a lot of what we've been talking about this whole series of walking with God in the desert. And as, as Lee talked about last week, when we find ourselves in those dry, barren places in our lives, maybe it's a, a relationship that we find breaking down or completely broken down. Maybe it's you wake up one morning and realize you have just lost all joy in your life, and it's been that case for a while, and you don't know why. Or maybe it's a, a sickness, uh, whether it's you know internal, physical, something like that, and you just kind of go, how on earth can I possibly get past this? And as Lee talked about last week, it, we often approach God first knowing about him, right? We read the Bible, it talks about who God is. Where we, we come to church, we talk about who God is, and there's this intellectual understanding of God. But it's only when we really go, do I believe it? Am I willing to lean into it? And it's those desert seasons that force us to ask the question. Because for the most part, I've found in my own life, when things are easy, when the road is marked you know, by, you know, it's the easy life, I don't have to depend on God. I don't have to really put my faith in Him into action. But when we encounter those desert seasons, that's when we have to move from knowing about him to actually believing in him. And when, when we place ourselves into his hands and trust him, that's when we begin to see that he is, in fact, trustworthy. That's at least been the case for me. And last two weeks ago, I shared a little bit about one of those seasons, one of those desert seasons that my wife and I found ourselves in a little over a year ago. When our son was born prematurely, he, in fact, we celebrated his one-year birthday on Wednesday, right, Kat? Was it Wednesday or Tuesday? Something like that. Tuesday. And this little boy is unbelievable, and he has been such a blessing. And it's so easy when you get past it to forget about just how overwhelming that season was and just how dry it felt. And God did some amazing things during that time, albeit things that were kind of born out of the crucible of our circumstances. But I have to admit, that was by far not the most difficult desert season that Kathy and I have walked through, at least from my perspective. And that's probably the case for a couple of reasons. First of all, we didn't walk through that season alone. We weren't in it alone. We had an unbelievable community of people, you guys, walking with us on, and we had family and other friends who were walking with us during that time praying for us loving us you guys were bringing us meals we knew we weren't walking through that desert season alone and in that in and of itself made it so much easier but the other reason i think that it was probably not the deepest valley that we found ourselves in was because it wasn't the first time we had walked through the desert it wasn't the first prolonged season in the desert for us and what I want to do this morning is I want to share a snippet of, of our lives. The biggest, darkest, driest desert I've ever found myself in. Um, and that's going to lead us into the passage that we're going to study this morning because it really took on a whole new meaning when I, when I found myself in that desert. So about three years ago, I was working at a little church down the street called Rock Harbor. I was a pastor there. And I loved it. I loved what I got to do. But what I found in hindsight, because you never really realize just how difficult things are getting in the midst of it. It's almost like you look back and you go, wow, how did it ever get so bad? I was going to church to minister to other people, but I forgot that I needed to be ministered to myself. 
I was helping shepherd other people and I forgot that I myself was in desperate need of cultivating my relationship with my own shepherd. And so over the course of probably the last six months that I was in a, in a pastoral position at Rock Harbor, I became drier and drier and drier. And I was doing so, my, so many things out of my own abilities, out of my own strengths, out of my own wisdom, because I wasn't connected at all to my shepherd. And so I was going through the motions I'd lost all joy, not only in my job, but in my marriage, in being a parent. I just wasn't happy. And some people run to the bottle. Some people run to other things. I I actually drown myself in books. That's kind of my tell. When I find myself going to books and just reading and reading and disappearing, not even being present with my family, you know something's up. And that's what I had been doing for months. And so one day my, my manager, Doug, called me into his office and he sat me down. And lovingly but, but firmly, he said, Eric, I'm really concerned about you. Because the guy that I've known for the last eight or nine years, I don't see him anymore. I don't see the joy. I don't see you. You've changed somehow, and I'm concerned for you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the next few days off. Go home. Get with Kathy. Process with her. Connect with God. I should have said reconnect. And find out what's going on. And you can imagine what's going on in my head as I'm going home going, did I just get fired? Am I in the process of of being fired? And have I really changed that much? And my initial response was denial. I'm fine. But when I got home and I saw Kathy, at this point, Ethan, our firstborn, which was the only one we had, was sleeping at this point. So Kathy was sitting on the couch and I walk in and she's like, what are you doing home at this time? And I sit down on the couch and I broke. And I just sobbed in my wife's arms for one of the first times because, you know, emotions are weakness unless it's anger or apathy for guys, apparently, is what we're taught, which is absolutely not true. And for the, one of the few times in our marriage at that point, I was able to just be real and honest in front of her. And I cr- sobbed in her arms. And in that moment, God, God doesn't speak audibly to me, but sometimes he'll just give me mental pictures of what's going on. And in that moment, he gave me a mental picture of what was happening. He allowed me to kind of step back from this and I saw myself as if I was laying down in a bed and I had a sheet up to my neck and my face looked just fine. I looked healthy. I looked like the the Eric Wayman that I presented to the world. But in that moment, he pulled the sheet back and I saw that underneath my soul had just started to rot. It had gotten infected. It was in dire straits. It was like I was covered in sores And it had been hidden from not only other people, but myself. And in that moment, I knew I had a choice. I could go back to my boss and I could say, you know what, I'm fine. I've just had kind of a funky time with having a new kid and all that kind of stuff, but I'm okay. And I could pretend like I'd been doing for the last six months. Or I could trust God and follow him out of the nest that was Rock Harbor at that time because it was the place that I'd grown up as a pastor. It was safe. It was comfortable. And I felt God really saying, it's time for you to trust me. I want you to jump out of the nest. And so Kat and I prayed about it for the next couple of days. I journaled a whole lot. And in the end, we decided, yeah, it was time for me to jump. Even though we were living off of one income, ours, mine, and we were going to say goodbye to that, 
is kind of like, do, we, do I really trust him? Because if I don't trust him enough to say, okay, I'll follow you, then I'm probably in the wrong career choice as a pastor, right? If I can't trust him myself, then how on earth can I stand before you and say, I think you need to trust God? He's trustworthy. That first month was an interesting month because it, it was this clash of, of the spirit wanting to do things and heal me and my flesh saying, I need to get out of this desert period season as quickly as possible. I wanted nothing more than to run out of it, fix it, find a new job to pour myself into where I would heal, right? That was my mindset. I jump out of the nest, but I expect the wind to catch me and me to fly immediately. And as, as God often uh, you know, reminded me in the midst of that, don't anticipate. This, this isn't going to be as comfortable as you think. In that first month, I think I, I applied for just about any job I could find in any field that I could find within about a 100-mile radius. Not only was it pastoral positions, and I interviewed with dozens of churches, but it was, I went to Costco one day, and I go, hey, are you guys hiring? They're like, nope, sorry, we don't need anybody. We got plenty of people right now. I was looking into the military thinking about chaplaincy until I realized that they could send me anywhere. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I want to stay in Southern California. You know, so it was just, it was this, <laughs> I'm not going to win any contests on Tuesday with patriotism. Uh, <laughs> long story short, that first month was me trying desperately to get out of the desert place, even though God had invited me into it to do some soul surgery. And we actually were in the final stages of an interview process with a church just past Los Angeles in a place called Porter Ranch. It was a little church of about 10,000 people. And they were looking for a small group's pastor. And I was in the final stages of the interview process. And once again, during one of my journaling sessions, God gave me a vision of, of where I was. He gave me a picture of the bluffs over by Estancia High School. Some of you may be familiar with that area. For those of you who aren't, it's, it's this big plateau. It's all grass. It's completely not developed. And then it, it kind of comes down and there's running trails all over it. Some of them are paved. Some of, some of them are dirt. Some of them are really steep and others are kind of gentle. And I found myself in this, in this picture in my mind at a, a crossroads. In front of me, I was on a paved road, and in front of me was a gentle slope that was paved up to the top of the plateau. And I knew in my mind that this was the megachurch. This was the comfort that a, a regular paycheck and benefits and a place, a, a position with a title and all of those things offered. And then there was a, a path that led off this way, and it, it turned dirt very quickly, and it was rutted, and it was broken. It, went, it kind of meandered through the brambles. And I knew in my heart where that path led. It led to the base of a puke hill, which is where the Estancia uh, track team runs up and down until they literally puke, hence the name. And I knew that that's where that path led. And I'm standing here with a choice. This is the way that I've been heading. And I knew in my heart that God was inviting me to trust him to follow him this way. And I heard him say, listen, Eric, you can go up the gentle slope if you want. And it wasn't one of those, you can do it, but you'll be in trouble if you do it. It was literally a, a permissive, you can take that path if you want to. Or you can trust me and you can follow me this way. And I knew in my heart that it wouldn't be easy, it wouldn't be comfortable, and it wouldn't be quick. Now, if I was single, it wouldn't have been no question whatsoever. Give me the hard stuff, you know, let's do our Spartan training, let's, you know, let's, let's take the hill. 
but I have a family. I have a wife. I have a son. I don't want to drag them through that pain. So this direction looked really, really inviting. And I'm an activator, so I tend to make decisions like that. And I did something that was very uncharacteristic of me. I decided to wait on making a decision. And instead, I invited my wife into the conversation, which is usually a good idea. Um, And we began to pray about it. And over the next couple of days, we really just weighed those options. And we finally together decided that, that we would trust God. That we would take ourselves out of that candidacy process. And we would follow him down this broken path. No sooner had I assented to, okay, God, I'm going to follow you, that he spoke to me, not verbally, but as powerfully as I've ever heard God lay anything on my heart, he laid two words, be still. That's it. That's all he had to say. Okay, you're going to follow me? Then be still. I knew exactly what he meant. Don't try to get out of this. Don't try to rush ahead and get through this part to get to the other side rest in me. Don't try to go online searching to find jobs. For that first three or four months, I had to have Kathy hold me accountable not to go online searching for jobs. Because for me, and I'm not saying that this is for everybody, for me in that time, what I needed more than anything was to stop thrashing, stop trying to get out of the valley, and simply be with God where he had invited me into. Because he was in the process of doing some soul surgery. Around this time, he brought a a psalm into mind. And then over the course of the next weeks, he kept bringing it up again and again and again. It's a psalm that we're all familiar with. It's probably the most popular psalm of all, Psalm 23. And I invite you to turn there because that's where we're going to be camping this morning. I would, I would go on to Facebook and somebody would have posted Psalm 23 on their Facebook account and there would be a video that I would just randomly find. Somebody would send it to me and it was, Psalm, it was based on Psalm 23. Or I would go to a church and the guy was teaching on Psalm 23 that morning. And I'm just going, okay, I get it, fine, all right, I get it. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there, although it's also printed in your notes. Psalm 23 starts this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that because for me in that moment, he had to force me to lie down. The last thing I wanted to do is stop. I wanted to continue to run and get out of that desert place, but he forced me. He made me lie down and rest in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores my soul. And I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that that was precisely what God was doing in that season for us. He was in the process of restoring my soul, my relationship with him. And it bled out into all of the relationships with my wife, with my son, with my friends. It continues on. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and boy, did that season feel like death death of identity, death of purpose, death of significance. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That became my rallying cry. That became my prayer. When I woke up in the morning, it became my mantra. I would begin just going through that. When I began to feel the anxiety, that became my cry. And you can understand why. I mean, those first couple of verses, the realization that he was in the process of restoring my soul, it resonated with me. But I think he had to keep bringing it up and keep placing it before me because there was a lot more that he was going to teach me. What I want to do is I want to, pretty briskly, because we don't have a ton of time this morning, I want to move through each of these and and I just want to share things that I have realized that this prayer of David reveals about our God. So, Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Or, as other uh, translations put it, I have everything I need. See, shepherds are different from bosses or coaches in that coaches or bosses tend to go, this is where you need to go, this is what you need to do, now go do it. Prove yourself. Whereas shepherds recognize that the sheep are a little bit too dumb, skittish, whatever, to do it on their own. So the shepherd literally walks with them. He is amongst the flock, near them, caring for them, guiding them, just calling them, hey, come with me. It's not a, you go there, this is where I want you to head. It's, follow me, trust me every step of the way and I will lead you where you need to be. And because he's our shepherd, we won't want, we won't won't be in need of anything. Now that's not to say we'll have everything that we want, okay? Because we could easily read this as, God will provide everything that my heart desires and that's not the case. But he'll provide what we need, in the midst of it, if we're willing to follow him. And that's a radical difference because our society tells us we deserve to be comfortable. We deserve to be happy. We deserve to have a house and, and two and a half kids, all of which are healthy. And, you know, a, 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 a happy home life and all those kind of things. You deserve it. And as our shepherd, he simply says, follow me. I'll provide what you need. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be easy, but I will care for you. It goes on that he makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. And we've already touched on the fact that he sometimes has to make us rest. But when, when, I, when you hear green pastures, that's something that we often immediately have a picture of, right? When you think of him making us lie down in green pastures, what do you envision? This is the interactive portion. Do you envision something like this, David? Can you throw it up there? This is what I envision when I think of green pastures. Perfect blue sky, really tall grass, and he forces us to lie down in this cushy grass and everything that we need is within arm's length. We have absolutely no need for anything because it's there. He's taken us to the perfect place, right? Well, this is absolutely nothing like what David intended when he wrote this or what the Israelites would have understood when they read this. Because you have to understand Israel is a dry, arid place. Let me show you what they meant, what they understood green pastures to be. Can we show that video? Because what they refer to as green pastures is what I would probably call in my life the wilderness or the desert, right? This is uncomfortable. 
I don't like having to be dependent on you, God, to guide me, to provide for me. You know, when I started going into this season of, of kind of following him out of that job, one of the, the thoughts in the back of my mind was, I want to be like the Israelites who learn, who saw tangibly that God provided for them every day, manna in the morning, quail at night. I want to trust God that way. But in the back of my mind, I'm going, but I don't want to actually be dependent upon that food. As I've said before, I kind of, I want to wake up and go see if there's manna, but know that I've got breakfast cereal in the back of my tent or some power bars just in case it's not there. I don't want to be fully dependent upon him. And when our lives are comfortable, when we find ourselves in green pastures like the first picture that we look at, where we have everything we need, the reality is we can declare, I trust you, God, but we don't actually have to trust him, do we? And I find it so interesting that this is the picture of green pastures because this is a life of dependence. Even when you're in the midst of the grazing fields, there's enough nourishment. But that doesn't mean you can just stay there forever and go, God, I don't need you. We're still dependent upon our shepherd to guide us step by step. And when this area is grazed out, to move on to the next area to find a shaded place to bring us behind, beside a brook where we can actually get water without having to be afraid of being swept away by the current or it just being standing water that gets muddied by the feet of countless other sheep that have gone before us. The Lord is our shepherd. We don't have any needs. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us behind, beside still waters. He restores our souls. He leads us along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Man, that is a declaration. God invites us into relationship with him. And and shepherds in that time were known, got a name for whether or not they were a good shepherd based upon how their sheep fared. Those sheep that were sick and gaunt and unhealthy, it would reflect upon their shepherd. But those sheep that were healthy and vibrant and strong, it reflected upon their shepherd. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. Through him, he has reconciled us to him and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation as though God were making his appeal to a hurting and broken world through us. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. Our lives as Christ followers reflect upon who we trust in and in whom we are following. The lives that we lead, our marriages, our relationships, the way that we interact at work, those are reflections upon our Lord and Savior. And I got to just tell you, one of the things that I'm noticing in our church, and not just in this church, but in this area, is that Marriages, for one, are under attack. And it's not just here. It's all around us. And as much as our marriages are being shaken and rocked, I've also seen something unbelievable happen in this church. I have, as I've, as I've gotten to know many of you, I have found that many of you who have such strong, vibrant relationships haven't always had them. Many of you here have, have had broken paths 
of walking with one another. Some, I know, have even separated and come back together. And the fact that we have encountered marital friction, that's common. That happens. That's a social ill, not just a church ill. But the fact that couples have leaned into the, to the God, been willing to submit their frustrations and, and work towards reconciliation and are now celebrating 25, 35, 45 years of marriage in spite of differences, irreconcilable differences, that is a testimony to their willingness, to your willingness to follow your shepherd. And that's a testimony to others who are in the midst of the frustration going, how are we ever going to survive this? So he leads us along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Our lives are a reflection upon who we follow. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, will fear no evil, for he is with us. I'm going to come back to that verse in just a second. I want to close with that. But his rod and his staff comfort us. That's, that's an interesting line, isn't it? It's not that his rod and his staff direct and protect us. It's he, it comforts us. But you have to understand, shepherds would carry two things in their hand. One is a club that they've carved out of a tree limb. It's got a big knobby top on it. And they use this if there's a, a dog or something that comes and attacks the flock. They can throw it and they get really good at throwing these clubs. So they can throw it to protect the sheep from wild animals. But they also at times use it when one sheep is, is butting into another, kind of pushing it away from the grazing area or pushing it away from the, the water. They can use the club to kind of throw it at the sheep and go, hey, stop it, cut it out. So it's a disciplinary tool. And on the flip side, the staff is used in many ways to guide and direct the sheep. They use the staff to, to kind of let, help lead the sheep this way or that or to when a sheep gets stuck in the brambles to extricate it from the, the thorn bushes. And sometimes when shepherds are walking with their sheep, they'll simply use the staff as an extension of their arm and they will rest it upon the back of one of the sheep. Just a gentle touch, letting that sheep know, I'm here, I'm with you, I love you. And the rod... The protection and discipline and the staff, the, the, the direction and, and comfort, those are there to comfort the sheep because a good sheep knows I can trust my shepherd not only to protect me and discipline me for my own good, but to guide my steps as he walks with me. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet or still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now I will admit for the first couple of months, that particular verse threw me because I didn't see how it fit. I get that he's restoring my soul. I get that I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I get all the other stuff. But how has he prepared a table in the presence of my enemies? And it was my mother-in-law who helped me to understand this. Why are you laughing? I mean, honestly, she really helped. Because she, at one point she goes, Eric, what are you most afraid of in life? I go, well, not living up to my potential. 
being a failure in the eyes of other people, but mostly in the eyes of myself, and not making any sort of a mark, having a life that really doesn't make a difference in this world. Those are the things that I fear, that I run from. And then it hit me. Those were precisely the things that God had called me out of my role, out of my position, out of my purpose, into the desert to face head on. I was in a season where I didn't have a title. I wasn't pulling in a paycheck. When I didn't have an overt purpose, I wasn't a pastor. And I had to face my deepest, darkest fears. And yet in the midst of that, you know what God was doing? He was caring for me. He was nourishing my soul. He was restoring me into a right relationship with him. And he was providing in ways that I can't even explain. That's a never hold conversation we don't have time to go into. But for eight months, God provided for us in ways that I can't to this day tell you how it happened. He simply provided for our needs. And so he truly had set a table for me in the face of my enemies and I could sit and rest even though I was surrounded by the things that I feared most. And I learned that I didn't have to fear them because my shepherd was with me. He was providing and protecting and guiding my steps. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And, and shepherds will t- often take oil because the, there are bugs and gnats that will get in there and chew on the flesh of the sheep. And they'll take oil to kind of soothe the wounds that have been inflicted. And even in the midst of this time, the things that have been inflicted upon me by other people, by myself, by my own choices he began to address those things as the Spirit comforted me in the midst of that season. And then David goes on to say, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now I have to tell you this, when I was in the midst of of my job, and externally I was putting on a good show, but internally I was dry and empty, my pastoral care was anything but. I would go into a room to sit down with somebody and try to minister to them, but really I was asking them to minister to me. I was asking them, do I have what it takes? Am I okay? Am I living up to your expectations? Would you please validate me and affirm me? And in, in, in so needing that ministry from them, I began to kind of become the social chameleon. I will tell you what you want to hear. I will try to give you the answers so that you will say, oh, Eric, he's such a smart guy. He's such a, you know, rather than just being able to sit and listen and go, I'm so sorry. And then, you know, kind of bring the Holy Spirit into it. I just didn't, I, I didn't have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. So how on earth could I in, kind of bring him into the room? And instead of sowing, you know, instead of bringing you know, gentleness and, and, and peace and mercy following my wake, it was craziness and anxiety and and insecurity and all of those kind of things. But as I found myself in the desert, as I began to rest and as he began to deal with those deep soul issues, I found 
that I could be more present with other people and I could actually allow them to be where they were at without having to try to get them to minister to me or tell me I was okay. I found that I could actually love my wife rather than demanding that she care for me and my needs. I found that there was, I didn't need other people to care for me because I was being ministered to by my Lord and Savior. And I found that in my wake as I began to look, goodness and mercy and peace began to crop up in the lives that I was touching, in my own marriage, in my relationships with friends. I was just a different person because suddenly I didn't need other people to fill me up. My shepherd was caring for me. Now I want to go back, before we finish this, I want to go back to that valley of the shadow of death because for me, I find that when I find myself in the desert places, initially it's really easy to say, God, I trust you, I'm following you, I want to be with you. But my flesh very quickly says, we need to get the heck out of here as quickly as possible because we can't survive this place. We weren't built for this place. We need to run. And when I get any sort of an indication of where God is leading me, my tendency is then to take off galloping as quickly as I can. If sheep gallop, I don't know. Um, as quickly, I, I, I want to waddle as quickly as I can up the hill. doesn't matter. I want to take the straightest direct path, even if it's over cliffs, to get there. Because I don't like it in the valley. I don't like it in the desert. And I began to ask God this question. Why would you do this? Why would you bring us out of a very comfortable place in a position and a purpose that I feel like you really designed me for? Why would you bring us out of that to bring us here? Why would you inflict this sort of pain? Because this hurts. And then I began to think to myself, well, wait a minute. If he's willing to allow me to endure this kind of pain, he must have something really awesome in store for us on the other end. If he took us out of that really nice pasture, I can just imagine the pasture he's taking us to. It's going to be way better. And then the Holy Spirit checked me. And I'm going to close today by reading, like I did last time, reading a page, and it's a much shorter page this time, out of my journal that I wrote two years and one month ago. While I was about six months into this desert season. Because this was one of those moments where the Holy Spirit went, wait a minute, you're approaching this from a completely different perspective than I am. See, it's really short, so don't worry. August 6, 2010. What if this broken road isn't intended to lead me to a greener pasture? What if the purpose of this path is to draw me into a deeper, more intimate relationship with my shepherd? Through this whole journey, I've held on to the belief that God has called me out of a comfortable place in order to prepare me for something better. And so I've followed him with confidence that the more painful the journey, the greater the payoff in the end. And this whole time I've interpreted payoff to mean better, more comfortable place to rest on the other side of the valley. In other words, that God is concerned about my comfort, so he's willing to allow me to endure discomfort only for a season so I can be more comfortable on the back end. Yet comfort probably isn't God's ultimate intention. From everything I've read about him in scripture, those he called to follow him usually weren't rewarded with a lucrative, comfortable position. In fact, most of them continued to suffer in some form or another throughout their lives, sacrificing jobs, family support, health, even their lives in the pursuit of their Lord. So I need to ask the question, if the only fruit from this season 
I'm sorry, if the only fruit that this season produces is a more intimate relationship with my Lord, one where I learn to trust his lead and his pace, no matter how countercultural it may be, am I willing to follow him regardless of the cost? Let me read that one more time. If the only fruit that this season produces is a more intimate relationship with my Lord, one where I learn to trust his lead and his pace, no matter how countercultural it may be, am I willing to follow him regardless of the cost? And while I don't like the thought, the only answer I can give is, of course. Where else can I go? He's the only source of life and true purpose. So lead on, Jesus. My family will follow. Wherever you want to take us and whatever pace you want to set is your prerogative. We choose to trust you. (laughs) Just please be gentle. (laughs) And I meant that last part. What if, rather than thinking that our lives are moving from one green pasture to another green pasture and the only time we actually have to trust and be dependent upon our Lord is when we're walking through the valley in between them and when, we bring, when he brings us into the lush green pastures as we interpret them, that's when we can stop trusting him and start trusting in our own self-sufficiency and start just doing what comes naturally and only once those green pastures are chewed up do we start going, okay, God, I need you again. That's how I've lived much of my life. I suspect that's how many of us go through life. But the picture we get of these sheep walking through the rocky, dusty green pastures is one of constant dependence upon their Lord and their shepherd. Trusting that the shepherd knows what's best for them. Trusting that the shepherd will give them everything that they need. He will protect them from the wild animals. He will protect them from the bullies within their midst. He will protect them from their own desires to go running off and fix it themselves. Or get to where they think they need to go. The invitation of the desert is not to get out of the desert. The invitation of the desert is to journey into a more intimate relationship with our Lord. And to learn that he's trustworthy. And here is the promise that David ends this psalm with. Here's the promise that all of us have. Whether it's somebody who's going through a marital breakdown where you're going, I want so desperately for this marriage to survive, but I can't control my wife or my husband. I can't make them do what I want them to do, so I can't ensure that this marriage will last. Or whether it's somebody who's just going, I don't know if I'm ever going to walk again. I don't know if I'm ever going to be independent again or if the sickness will ever go I don't know if I'm ever going to experience those green valleys like I experienced them before here is the promise that we get at the end of the psalm surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever David put it this way I'm sorry Jesus put it this way in this world we will have trouble but take heart I've overcome the world In other words, relational friction, sickness, the natural progression of age, depression, addiction won't get the last word. And regardless how deep and dark the valleys we find ourselves in become, regardless how rocky the green pastures Jesus chooses to lead us into are, This is simply a precursor to the rest of our lives that we get to spend in a place 
Whereas Revelation 21 puts it, every eye will be dried. There will be no more death, no more tears, no more brokenness. We do have a lush green pasture to look forward to, but it's not necessarily here and now. And so in the midst of this, I, ha- I want to simply leave you with this question as I invite the worship team to come forward. And during this first song that Justin's going to sing, I just want to encourage you to spend some time thinking and dwelling on this question. Are you willing to follow your shepherd regardless of where it leads and regardless of the cost? Even if it doesn't mean total comfort, even if it doesn't mean that there's a greener pasture on the other side, are you willing to follow him? And where you find yourself now, you might want to just spend some time going, where am I? Am I in a desert? And have I allowed you to be my shepherd? And if not, what's keeping me from that? So let me pray for us, and then we'll go into a time of, of reflection and, and response. Father, I thank you that you love us, even though we're sheep that like to go astray and sheep that like to, to chart our own course. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth and dying for us to pay the ultimate price so that we can have an intimate relationship with our God. And I thank you that you guide us if we're willing to allow you to every step of the way. We're sorry for the ways that we have placed demands and expectations for comfort above trust. We're sorry for the ways that we demand understanding before we're willing to rest in the peace that you provide in the midst of the questions and the turmoil of our lives. God, here and now, we declare that we want to trust you in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the desert. And I pray that you would give us the courage to follow you wherever you lead because you alone are worth trusting. You alone are worth following. Jesus, in your name, amen.